Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Guests, welcome. Uh, I was having a conversation with Marungi Igueta this week. Um, for those that don't know, Marungi Igueta is a pastor in Kenya. Uh, Matthew and I are leaving Tuesday to go to Kenya, and I was talking to Marungi about our travels there and just about life in general. I talk to him regularly, and in our conversation, I was reminded about something that one of the truths that I have, I have fought for, uh, taught on, defended on since the day I became a pastor, really. Early on in my pastorate, one of the things I've, I've really fought for and defended and taught about, and what I will, by the grace of God, continue to, to fight for and protect until the day I die, and that is the, the value and the necessity of a local assembly in the life of a believer. In our discussion, I was just reminded of how, how necessary and valuable it is for a Christian to be connected to a local assembly. Uh, for all of the things that brings us. For, uh, for the, the coming together to worship as we are this morning, to pray and to sing and to give and to hear the word taught and to, 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 to come gather together to worship. Uh, the, the value of the local assembly and the necessity in our lives in the spreading of the gospel. That, that together we are partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ and how necessary it is to have a local assembly to do that. The fellowship that comes, the koinonia, the like-mindedness, the, the fellowship that comes through talking about the things of God, uh, uh, carrying one another's burdens, talking to each other about what it is to be a husband, a wife, a father, a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle what it's like to live the Christian life together. And how, how people that don't have that, just think, think of your own lives if you were ever a Christian or before you were a Christian and not connected to a local assembly in a meaningful way. How many things we would be missing if we didn't have that. The, the, the protection and the authority the local assembly brings into our lives. Uh, just... I, I'm, I'm, there's, there's a situation of a church that, that where there, there's been a split in the church. And this week I was talking to some of the people involved, and Marungi and I were talking about that and, and, how, and how there's this split has, has completely mm, disregarded the protection and the authority of the local assembly. Whether it's the elders that are at, at fault in this matter or the people that have left, I don't know. All I know is they have not come together using the scriptures to, to figure this out. Uh, and and, and, and it's, it's tragic for me to watch that, that this covering that I have as a member of this local assembly, it's a great covering I have. I have brothers and sisters and elders who care for me, care about me, pray for me, ask me about my life, keep me from sin. This local assembly works in my life to keep me from sin. To, to draw me back to my thoughts of Christ and my obligations and my duties and my love. That doesn't happen. And, and so, many of us, so many of us have been part of churches before where we didn't have that. And, and it's, it's, it's somewhat difficult and strange to have that because... It's intimate. It's humbling. It's, 
humiliating at times. Praise the Lord. Any humiliation that you feel, any chastisement you receive from the Lord because of your connection to God's people, praise the Lord. Because we're to be humble, are we not? We all, scriptures are replete, the New Testament is replete with conversations and truths about the importance of a local assembly. (laughs) There need to be pastors in your life, and you have them by the grace of God here, that we realize we will stand before God to give an account for how we shepherd your souls. And we do not take that lightly. And if you don't have that in your life, you're missing something. And everybody who's a member here, you, you understand that. You, you, but I just want us to be thankful for that and remember that. And don't take it for granted and fight for it. In your own heart, in your own life, with the life of the brethren, fight for it. It's very important. Okay, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. We will be in verses 25 through 33 today. Message titled, Counting the Cost of Following or Not Following Jesus. So please stand and I will read his word. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You may be seated. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 uh, tells me that my calling as a pastor, as a teacher, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's, That's what I'm called to do. In order to be faithful to this call, I am to, it is my duty to open this up each week, to study this, and to rightly divide it and to present to you God's truths, realities, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm supposed to do. And and today's passage, Jesus' words are quite clear. There's one thing we're going to talk about that isn't maybe really crystal clear, but once we talk about it, this is quite clear. This is not difficult to understand. It is very easy to ignore and act as if if though he doesn't mean what he says and act as if though we don't have to consider what he says. My job is to not change Jesus' teaching in my speaking. Your job is to not change Jesus' teaching in your listening. For the past four weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' interaction with the the ruler of the Pharisees, 
and his, his important guests, um, the, the scribes and the lawyers that were with him. And we've seen the interaction at this Sabbath day meal that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And now in verse 25, we're going to see Jesus back, back, out, um, about, back out on the road traveling. Remember, he has his face set like flint towards Jerusalem. He is headed to Calvary. He is headed to the cross where he is going to take on the wrath of God to redeem his bride. And as he's going, he has this huge following of people. And that's, we find him uh, back, back to speaking to the masses. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, so again, in, 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 we've been looking in the book of Luke, um, different audiences Jesus interacts with differently. You know, he, he's, he's preaching the kingdom of God. He's preaching sin, repentance, and salvation wherever he goes, but he interacts differently with different groups. In, in uh, chapter 12, remember, he was speaking to the masses. And he warned them about to run from the false religion, run from the hypocrisy, the, the, the leaven of hypocrisy, the leaven of the Pharisees. He told them that God's going to judge everything. Nothing's hidden from God. And therefore, they should fear God. They should, they should believe on, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they should be led by the Spirit. Uh, he warned them against storing up treasures. Remember in verse 13 of chapter 12, in the middle of talking about things eternal, a man stood up and said, hey, teacher, tell my brother to give me my inheritance. And this is again in this big crowd, and he goes on to tell a parable that warns them uh, about storing up treasures on earth. And then he turns to his disciples. And when he turns to his disciples, instead of this crowd, he speaks a little differently. He tells his disciples, he reminds them, uh, he warns them uh, to abandon materialism and to seek the kingdom of God. He's telling his disciples, his followers, the smaller group, he's telling them, don't, don't be hung up on what you're going to eat, drink, wear. Seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added. Fear not, little flock. Because he's giving you the kingdom of heaven. He, he turns and tells them that he tells them, then he tells them, you be ready for the master's return. He could come back at any time, you disciples. And then when he talks to the Pharisees, he talks in a much different way. Uh, he's warning them about their, their leading people to hell. He warns them about their false religion and their self-righteousness and the wrong way they divide the scriptures. He, he's just finished telling them they will not be at the great banquet in God's kingdom, but the poor, the lowly, even the Gentiles will be there. So again, his audiences change and the message changes. What we're going to see today is back talking to the masses. This is, this is evangel, evangelistic ministry, if you will. It's a message to, but, but who it is to, it's not as if he's out on the streets talking to people that don't know who he is. His audience is people that are following him. Tens of thousands of people that are following him. That's his audience. So it's not some pagan Gentiles who know nothing of Jesus. These are people who are following him. They're coming after him. So, so this is evangelism, if you will, to folks that are attracted to him. Now, great crowds, polis aklas, common folks, a lot of them, accompanied him. So these tens of thousands of people are following him. And he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me 
erkomai, become, to come, a state or condition. If anyone wants to come to me, become a follower of mine. Now, Jesus is calling them to come. No, not in the same way he is in Matthew. In Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's duete. Come hither. Come now. It's a command. So in Matthew, he's commanding whoever is listening to him to come now. You are heavy laden and burdened. I'll give you rest. Here he's saying, if, i.e., whether, if, a marker of indirect question, if anyone wants to come, if any of y'all that are following me want to come to me, He's not commanding they come. He's telling them if they want to come. If anyone wants to come to me, all of you who are following me because you're loving my miracles. These folks that are following him are loving that he's feeding thousands of people with two loaves and five fish. They're loving the fact that he's healing people and curing people. They're loving all these things that he can do. And, and many of them are loving him, thinking he is, the, he is the temporal king, the earthly king that's going to make Israel great again. They're following because of, of the things he can do for them, not, not for who he is. They're, 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 they're following him because they love the miracles, they love the gifts, they love the things he can give, and they also are hoping he is the earthly king that will lead them away from this Roman oppression that they're under. So he turns to these people and says, all these thousands upon thousands, and he's evangelizing. Hey, I look, I'm glad you call me rabbi. I'm glad you see me as a savior. I'm glad that you see I will provide for your needs. And that's enough for me. So I'll call you mine and I'll die for you. That's what he's going to turn and tell them, right? I'm just glad you're, I'm glad you're, you're, you're following me. I'm glad you're calling me rabbi. I'm glad you like what I can do for you. That's enough. I'll go ahead and die for you. Is that the message he's going to give them? Let's find out. Because see, that's the message that many people give today. A Jesus who, hey, he's going to make your life better. Your marriage is a wreck. He's going to fix it. Your finances are in trouble. He'll, he'll, he'll make you wealthy. Hey, if you're sick... He'll make you healthy. That's what they're following him for. Hey, he can make America great again. Okay, now great crowds are coming. He turned and said to them, if anyone wants to come to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even if his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying this man to begin to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet who comes against with 20,000? And if not... While the other is a great wealth, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you, any one of you, any one of you thousands of people following me who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Three times Jesus says who cannot be his disciple. Methetes, follower. The word methetes, disciple, it means a follower. Often a disciple who is a believer and close follower, though 
other less committed relationships are indicated. It can mean pupil or a student. So everyone who was following him at that time was somewhat of a disciple. They were learning from him. They were somewhat of a pupil or a student. They were calling him rabbi, many of them. But, but he's, he's, he's making a distinguish. He's distinguishing here between, hey, following me is totally different than being my true disciple. He's, he's, he's telling them who cannot be his true disciple. Those cannot be his disciple, he says three times. Jesus was not a bait-and-switch evangelist. Okay, bait-and-switch, for those who don't know, bait-and-switch is where you advertise a product at a low cost, and then when people come in to get that product, they sell you something much more expensive. Okay, so it's, they, they tell you it's cheap, and then they sell you something much more expensive. That's bait-and-switch. Jesus was not a bait-and-switch evangelist. He didn't hide anything. We should be like that. We ought not be people that that don't warn people to count the cost of being a true disciple. Jesus hid nothing. He he doesn't say, Christianity is easy, following me is easy, being my disciple is easy. He quite frankly tells the truth. He upsells it. He says how much it's really costing. Not everyone he's telling them, not everyone who's following him right now is a true disciple. Let me tell you what a true disciple actually lives like. Let me tell what a true disciple actually thinks like. So in here today, everyone in here today, to some extent, is a learner. Some of you much more than others. You're around here a lot. You, you, You learn from Jesus as we talk about his word. You're, you're near him. You, you, you are a learner. You're a pupil. But, but many are not true disciples. Whether or not you've confessed, whether or not you're a member of this church or a member of a church, or whether you're not, this audience was filled with some of both. But, but we need to consider what a true disciple actually lives like, thinks like. What is a true believer? So let's hear from Jesus himself what every single person in here today, starting with me, needs to hear and think about. We need to consider what Jesus says, what it costs to be a follower of Jesus. We're going to get there, but remember salvation is free. It's absolutely free. Salvation costs you nothing. Being a disciple costs you everything. You see, salvation is free. We're going to get back to this probably a number of times. But I don't want to lose anybody at the beginning by saying it costs. But Jesus is telling us what the cost is of being a true disciple. You see, following around to get free bread and some healings, they cost them nothing. What it costs. If anyone comes to, come, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. The first thing that a true disciple is, he has, he or she has a hatred of earthly relationships. 
Now, this is strong, so stay with me. Some of you are going to get check out right now, but this is what Jesus says. The word he uses is maseo. And the word means hate, detest, to dislike strongly, with the implication of aversion and hostility. So, true disciples of Jesus have, have a... Are they to have a detestation of their parents, their spouse, their children? I thought... We're to honor our parents, which, which, which kind of says i got to love them. I know moms are told to love their children in Titus 2 and their husbands. And that word is actually uh, philotechnos. It's, it's, a, it's a brotherly love. They're to have affection for. Husbands are to love their wives. Fathers are to love their children that they discipline. We're even to love our enemies, are we not? So what is Jesus saying? Is he, is he contradicting himself? He clearly isn't teaching that I have to hate Emily or Sophia. He's using a semantic expression for loving less. For loving less. We see it fleshed out more in Matthew 10. 10, 34. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemy be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So while true disciples will not have an emotional disdain or a violent disposition towards family, we will love them less than we love Jesus. Ben, you love your sons. I know that about you. But you're to love Jesus more than you love your sons. Cal, I know you love your children. I know you love your wife, but you're to love Jesus more than you love your wife. Don't pass over this. We can quickly pass over this and say, okay, great, good. You didn't say I have to hate them. No, but you do have to love them less. To be his true disciple. We cannot ignore these words from Jesus and act like he didn't say them. We can't ignore them in our own lives and we can't ignore them in the lives that we evangelize to. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, cannot be my disciple. Our love and our loyalty must first be toward Jesus. True disciples. Our families cannot be our Lord. Our families cannot be our Lord. Our spouse, our parents, our children, our grandchildren, our siblings mustn't be our idols. They, they can't, look, mustn't be. True disciples will not have a love for their family that's greater than their love for Christ. Our spouses, our father and mother, our children, parents, our grandchildren, our brothers and sisters, they cannot be our first love. 
they cannot be our first love. They cannot be our Lord. They cannot cause us to live in ways or we desire to live in ways that are different than what God says because they want something different. Look it. I'm going to say this once because I don't want to have to soften the message any. It's what he said. None of us do this perfectly, even true disciples, but it's our heart. And if it's not our heart, then we don't know Christ. I want us to hear that. Not preaching perfection. Jesus never preaches perfection, but here's the deal. If this is not true of your heart, of your desires, if you actually love your children more than you love Jesus, then you don't know Jesus. If you actually would lay your life down for your spouse before you would for Christ, then you don't know Him. Your children cannot be your first love. Moms, especially. Your spouse cannot be your first love, husbands. They cannot be your first priority. Jesus must be our first priority. Really. Not just something we say, it's something we believe. We are. This, this is what he said. If you don't hate these, these earthly relationships, you cannot be my disciple. There's no wiggle room here. It's really pretty simple to understand. It really isn't difficult. And nothing Jesus teaches or says in his word that would refute that. Nothing. We need to think about this in our lives. Some of you, some of you who are in here today even, learning about, maybe saying you're following Jesus, maybe calling yourself a Christian, and you've never even come close to considering this being a reality in your life, today may be the day of salvation that you repent and see Christ must be your first love. Christ must be your Lord. Next, the next thing that, that Jesus says is you, a, a true follower, a true disciple will have a hatred of one's own earthly life. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We must hate our own life and die to ourselves to be Jesus' true disciples. Now again, we don't need to have a disdain for ourselves or even our desires. We need not have a death wish, but we cannot be our own Lord. Jesus' true disciples don't love their lives more than they love Jesus. True disciples are not Lord of their life. Jesus is. True disciples do not love their own desires more than God's desires for them. True disciples do not love their own desires more than 
They love God's desires for them. This is true. Luke 9, 23, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Himself. True disciples will bear their own cross. They will die to themselves. Remember the picture of the cross in the context of the day was someone carrying their cross to their death. They were ready to go and, and thousands of people were put on crosses for, for the Romans. They put to, to show, show don't, don't mess up, don't, don't fight government. These people that would bear their crosses, they were actually going to their death. Okay, that, that's where they were headed. The, the cross, Christ bids a man or a woman to come and die. And if you don't come and die, then you're not his true disciple. The cross to bear, it's not strained relationships. It's not physical maladies. It's not sleepless nights. That's not the cross that we are to bear. Listen, it's not maladies. It's not strained relationships. It's not lack of finances. It's not sleepless nights. That's not a cross to bear. The cross that we are to bear, die daily, is to surrender our way, our very lives to King Jesus. The cross we bear is to, to, to put to death our desires, put them to death every day because we're dead men and women walking and we are surrendered to King Jesus, to our Lord. We will not... Love our lives more than we love our Lord. Some of you in here, I'm hoping you're counting the cost. You hear the gospel regularly in here. You're told salvation is a free gift, and it is. Repent and put your faith and trust in Christ. Do that. But here's what it's going to cost you. What does it mean to be a true disciple? We confess Jesus as our Savior, right? Well, He is our Savior, but Romans 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What does it mean to be saved? That Jesus is your Lord. Hey, I know it's wrong to be sexually immoral, I know that's wrong, but I'm going to continue in that, even though God says don't. I'm going to willfully continue in that way. That's not a true disciple. A true disciple may sin in that way. Not willfully, not continually, and there will be repentance. Because, because they love the Lord more than they love themselves, and they're every day picking up their cross and dying to themselves, to their own will, to their own desires. We, 
We hate our own life in the sense we surrender it fully and totally to Jesus. We don't hold on to it. We are willing to lose our closest friends. We're willing to be alienated from our family. We are willing to be hated by those who once loved us. Ben happens to be here today, and he's one of the guys that knew me from back at Short Hills days. You know, most of those guys at Short Hills can't stand me, Ben. They can't stand me. We are willing to die to ourselves to serve King Jesus. We are willing to actually really die. And so that sickness or that malady that may lead to death, okay. That's not my cross to bear. My cross to bear is to interact with that disease or that sickness rightly. As I'm, I'm going to my death, I'm living for my king. He is my Lord. He tells me how to suffer, so I'll suffer that way. My cross to bear is not my sleepless nights. That's not my cross to bear. You, sometimes that's just God being kind to me. Other times it is, it is chastisement for me. But either way, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to let, set aside my anxiousness. Philippians 3, and I, yeah, Philippians 3, 7. But whatever I gain, this is Paul in his letter to the Philippians. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We've looked at this before and I'll misquote it, but the, 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 the exponentially more times Lord is mentioned of Jesus than Savior in the Scriptures. Because everybody wants a Savior. Not very many people want a Lord. His true disciples want a Lord. For, for the, His sake, I have suffered a loss of all things and count them as dung, as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. True disciples love knowing Christ more than they love their own comforts and recognitions and stuff and relationships. Knowing Christ as Lord is what a true disciple has. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. True disciples are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, of Christ, that confess Christ as Lord. Hating our lives is putting our desires to death and having God's desires alive in us. Picking up our cross every day, dying to ourselves. Living for Christ. And how do we live for Christ? Eh, how do we wing it? No, we live for Christ how he tells us to live. How he empowers us to live. How he exampled for us to live. True disciples die to their own will daily and follow their first love, Jesus. Romans 8, therefore... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, true disciples. Those who hate their earthly relationships, their, their own lives, 
in comparison to knowing Jesus Lord, those there's no condemnation for. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh aren't his disciples. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So their minds are set. All of these people, many, most of these people that were following Jesus the day he's telling this, were people that were coming for the miracles, the healings, the food, and the earthly king to take them out of Roman oppression. They weren't coming for the forgiveness of their sins that they might live their life to the glory of God. They weren't coming for that reason. They were led by their flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Who sent us the Holy Spirit? Jesus. He sent us the Spirit to indwell us. For to set the mind on the flesh, on this life, is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They cannot be Jesus' true disciples. Those who are guided by the flesh, who love their life, who love their relationships and love their stuff more than they love God, cannot please God, are not Christ's disciples. You, you true disciples, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life is because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So this thing that costs us everything, so salvation is free, being a follower of Christ costs everything, is empowered by God Himself. The Spirit lives in us to actually then love Christ more than we love ourselves. Love Christ more than we love our relationships. Love Christ more than we love our stuff. This is how you know He dwells in you. Because these are your actual desires. Not your perfected actions, your actual desires. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You are not a true disciple. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. True disciples hate their life, love the Lord Jesus, and by the power of the Spirit follow Him. Carrying out His will daily, not their own, by His grace. True disciples, I appeal you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, 
What is the will of God? What is good, acceptable, and perfect? True disciples love not their way of life, not their will. They love their Lord Jesus and they desire to do His will. So many people, so many people confess to be Christians, but they'll actually admit to you it is not their desire to give up sin. And, and or they'll live like it's not their desire to give up sin. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We, we identify with Christ in his shame and his suffering and in a surrender to God's will. That's, that's what Christ exampled. That's what we identify with. 2 Corinthians 5.15 He died for all that those who might who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We live for Christ's sake. He's telling these tens of thousands of people that were following, following him for his power, following for what he could give them. He's telling them, you cannot be my disciple if you don't hate your family, if you don't hate yourself, if you don't hate your life, and if you don't hate your stuff. Ephesians 5, 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. True disciples die to ourselves, to our own plans, our own ambitions. True disciples hate those fleshly plans and ambitions they used to love. We're willing to, we're, we're willing to serve Jesus as He directs. We are willing to accept and carry our cross as part of our lives. Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? It's a rhetorical question. Why would you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You're building on a foundation of sand, he's telling them. Because when stuff comes at you, if you're not following the will of the Lord, it's all going to crumble. True disciples are those who are done being the authority in their own lives. Look at Brothers and sisters, I am imperfect, as are you. You can help me see places in my life where he's not the authority in my life. But by the grace of God, I am done being my authority. He is my Lord. He is my master. He is my king. Not my family. Not myself, not my fleshly desires. He is my Lord. I'm not motivated, maybe not enough, actually. I'm not motivated. <laughs> so, this could be a confession, and it's also an affirmation. I don't love my wife enough. I don't love my daughter well enough or my son. I don't. And, and I'm ashamed of that, and I repent of that. But I will, by the grace of God, never love them more than I love him. I love my son Nicholas. But I will never love him more than I love Christ. And I'm willing to be separated from him because of it. Only by the grace of God. Because he'd been very kind to me.
True disciples are those who are done being the authority in their own lives. They instead submit as slaves of Lord Jesus. They submit to their Lord, their Master, and their King. That's what true disciples do. Followers just come around, learn a little bit here, learn a little bit there, take a little bit here, take a little bit there. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they are their own authority. True disciples, at the end of the day, Christ is our authority. There's a big difference there, brothers and sisters. Many, many people do religion. Many, many people will turn over things to God, things they're willing to turn over to God. Many people will. And right now, maybe in some of our hearts, we're thinking, you know what? I'm hanging on to this thing. i got to let it go. Do. Or you might be thinking, you know what? I'm not. This man's crazy. This guy's talking silly. That's way too high a bar. It's not my bar. Listen, I want you to know something. If you think I'm crazy and you think I'm silly, I am not setting the bar. This is absolutely the words of Jesus Christ himself. They're even more harsh than I'm allowing them to be in some ways, and I'm sorry for that. I'm trying to soften the blow a little bit, and I ought not, because he wasn't. Because for believers, this isn't going to bother you. It's going to encourage you. And forever believe unbelievers, it might offend you, and praise God. Because Jesus offended. They put him to his death because he told them the truth. This easy believism that is in the world around us these days, it's a lie. It's bait and switch. Come to Jesus, He'll fix your life. Come to Jesus, He'll heal you. Come to Jesus, He'll make you a better person. Come to Jesus, He'll fix your marriage. And then you're going to stand before the Lord, having come to Him for all of that, never making Him Lord, and He's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And now Jesus is going to tell two parables to have them consider, this audience to consider whether or not they wanted to be his true disciples. He's told them what it costs. Just like us, can you imagine? He's, they're standing there and they say, he's telling me I've got to hate my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters and my wife. Come on i got to hate my life. So he's going to give them a couple of parables. All of these thousands of followers who've, who've just been told that they, they've got to hate their earthly relationships. They've got to hate their own lives. They've got to hate their stuff. They've got to pick up their cross and die to themselves like these people they see along the roads. Now he tells them the cost of building a tower or waging a war. For which of you, desiring to build a tower... Does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Remember, he's telling this audience who's following him around what it means to be a true disciple. He's showing them the high cost of that, and he's telling them, now you need to think about the cost I just told you. And he uses this example to say, who's going to build a tower but they got a, that doesn't first sit down to count how much it's going to cost. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, he's not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Cosby is planning to build onto Corey's house. It would be awfully silly of him to have plans, Josh, don't let this happen, have plans for a 10,000 square foot house when all the resources he has is to build a 2,000 square foot house. That would be foolish, Right? It's even more foolish to say, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm not going to pay the cost. 
I want to follow Jesus, but I want to keep my sin. It's even more foolish because that's eternal. But this is the parable he gives. These, these, these followers of Jesus, they were, they were being told to count the cost of being his true disciples. You're being told today, count the cost of being his true disciples. And decide whether you're able or willing to pay that cost. Listen, salvation is a free gift. You do nothing to be saved. You see Christ for the, the forgiveness of your sins. You see that you have no hope before a holy God. You see that you're a despicable sinner in need of a Savior. And you look to Christ. But you do not look to Him as a Savior if you do not understand He is your Lord. And this is the cost you're counting now. Don't come to Christ cheaply. Don't think you can be a Christian and live in your sin and continue to be the Lord of your life or continue idolatry of your children or your spouse or your parents or your siblings. It'll cost you everything to follow Jesus. It will cost you nothing to confess Jesus. Next parable. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet with who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation, asks for terms of peace. He's telling them, if a, if some, if a king went to war with 10,000, against somebody who was coming at them with 20,000, that would be rather foolish. Because before the war even started, they're going to realize, I can't do this. Jesus telling these followers to consider the cost of following him and consider the cost of not following him. Can you afford to go to war with King Jesus? He's got far more than 20,000 compared to 10,000, but the parable is, it would be foolish Sit down, you count the cost of following me, and you count the cost of not following me. What fools would come to the conclusion, yep, I'll wage that war. Are you kidding me? You wouldn't be a king very long. We have examples of these men who did not count the costs prior to following Jesus. Judas did not count the cost. Judas was not willing to give up his love of power and money to follow Jesus. Demas, Philemon, written in about 60 AD. Philemon, chapter, or verse 24, only one chapter. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Demas was a fellow worker with Paul and Luke and Mark. Okay, he was a, he was one of the traveling party of the apostles. Colossians 4, written in probably about 62 AD or so. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Paul says, Luke and Demas, we're still hanging out together. So Demas, Luke, Paul, Mark, they're traveling around doing ministry. And then when Paul's in prison in Rome, writing his final epistle to Timothy, we see this. 
For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas loved his life more than he loved the Lord Jesus. And he forsook it all because he loved this present world. He deserted Paul and the work of the gospel. He didn't count the cost. Brothers and sisters, we are in for the long haul. All the way to our death. And if you're not in for the long haul, today's the day of salvation. If you're in just till it gets tough, you don't know him. You're not worthy. Can't be his disciple. You're in it just as long as you have a good relationship with your kids and your parents and your you're not worthy. If you're, if you're in it just as long as you get to call the shots at the end of the day, at the end of the day, nobody has authority over me. Elders smelders, brethren smethren, I'll do me. Scripture splipture, I'll do me. You don't know Christ, you're not worthy. Not worthy. You cannot be his disciple. Great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's warning them. He's telling them as point blank as he can tell them. All these people that are listening to him. You can't be my disciple and love your family and, your, and, your, and yourself. Then he tells a parable for which of you desiring to build a tower. Listen, you've got to count the cost of following me. It might cost you your family, your friends, your job, your reputation, your golf game. It might, it might cost you everything. Count that cost. And then he tells the parable of the king. And you ought to sit down and think about not following me and what that will cost you. Think about what it will cost you to not follow Jesus in the day he wages war. Because he's coming back as a warrior king. And then, and then this. And then this. So therefore, anytime you see therefore, you say, what's it there for? Because of all I just told you, big crowd, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Any of you, any of us in here today, who does not renounce all that he has, his relationships, his ways of living, his desires, her stuff, cannot be a disciple of Jesus. Pastor, does that mean everybody's going to have to walk out there and lay their checkbooks in their cars? And Of course not. But that's what we do because we don't want to listen to what Jesus says. Are you willing to give it all away for the sake of Christ? Are you willing to live in a prison for the sake of Christ? Are you? Am I? Really, don't walk out of here today just checking some box. Whew, I'm glad that's over. This is for us. If you, 
if you will not renounce your own way of life, your own desires that are not of God, if you will not renounce those, if you will not renounce your idolatry of your spouse or your child, then you cannot be his disciple. The pair of the tower says, sit down and see what it's going to cost to follow Jesus. The parable of the king says, sit down and see what it's going to cost to not follow Jesus. And then know this, today is the day of salvation. Being a true disciple will cost one everything that they are. A willingness to give our complete heart to the Lord. Total devotion and love for Christ. Our mind being controlled by Christ. You know, I'm not willing to forgive, fill in the blank, Uncle Tommy because of what he did to me. When Jesus says, forgive, I'm not willing. Give up your mind. I'm not willing to love my wife when she's disrespectful to me. Give up your mind. I'm not willing to submit to a husband who leads me poorly. Give up your mind. Your eyes and ears, what you'll watch, what you'll listen to. Let Christ decide. I've had this discussion so many times in the last few weeks with some of you sitting in here. Look, you can cry legalism all you want. I don't think, Jason, have I yet told you what you can and can't listen to musically? Have we ever had a discussion what you can't listen to? I don't believe I have, have I? But what I would tell you is be wise that our eyes and our ears take in things. The movies we watch, the music we listen to, they take in things that either, either honor Christ or dishonor. There's really not much that's neutral. I'm okay if you think there's some things that are neutral, but don't just say they're neutral and not really consider it. Are you willing to stop watching movies completely if that's what God had for you? Of course you are, right? I'm not saying you have to. I haven't. Being a true disciple will cost you your mouth. What you eat, what you drink, how you speak. Oh no, I'm good. I eat, drink, and speak the same way I always have. Have you always been a Christian? No, but there's nothing wrong with the way I eat, drink, and talk. That costs nothing. Our desires, our desires, it costs us our desires. Being controlled by God's desires and not our own. Being a disciple will cost all that one has. A willingness to lose it all. A willingness to lose it all. To lose family. Being, putting family behind Christ. Willing to lose all of our friends. 
willing to lose all the comforts of this world. I didn't say you have to. I'm saying willing to. Well, I'll follow Jesus, but not if it's going to cause me sleepless nights or discomfort. It'll cost the heart that says, I am storing up no treasures on earth. All I do with finances is for the glory of God. The cost of being a disciple. Is, is those things. The cost of not being a disciple is forsaking the forgiveness for your sins from God the Father. The cost of not being a disciple is forsaking the saving power of Jesus Christ. The cost of not being a disciple is the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. The cost of not being a disciple or the, the pr- cost is the promises that are given to us to be in glory with God forever. The cost of not being a disciple is your eternal body and soul under the wrath of God. That's what will cost you to not be a true disciple. Closing thought. Salvation is a free gift that costs you nothing because Jesus paid it all. Amen? Amen. Salvation is a free gift that costs you nothing because Jesus paid it all. Being a Christian will cost everything. All that you have or will have and all that you are or will be must be surrendered to the Lordship of King Jesus. Amen? He'll take some things, he'll leave some things. It's not, that, it's not that being a Christian means you have to be poor and destitute and never sleep and have a lot of diseases. But it is all of those things turned over to the lordship of King Jesus. On the other hand, not following Jesus will cost you the forgiveness for your sins. It will cost you an eternity in perfection. And instead you will pay for your sins under the wrath of Almighty God forever and ever in hell where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you, will you, hate your earthly relationships and the desires of your earthly life, count them all as dung, and be a true disciple of Jesus? Have you, will you, forsake, renounce, All that you have, putting it under, surrendering under the the authority of King Jesus. My life is not my own, right? We sing it. That's what a true disciple believes and lives like. Do what you do with my ransom life. Use my ransom life in any way you choose. It's a song we sing. That's what a disciple does. And when we don't, we repent. We trust in the Lord. 
and we get right back to carrying our cross. Father, we thank you again for the, the clarity of your word. We thank you for this opportunity we have to count the cost of following or not following Jesus. I'm thankful for your kindness that would allow us to hear these words today. I'm thankful for how your spirit will work in us and move us. And Father, I'm thankful for any salvation that you would bring. As people would, as people would see that they cannot yet be your disciple. Father, help those of us who you have been kind to save to live consistently with the teaching we've heard today. For Christ's sake, in whose name I pray. Amen.